the front room of the canopy club we made 20 dollars. they got free pbr i thought it was the greatest thing ever you know This is Champagne is also a band podcast. One songwriter, one song. I'm Sven, your host for a journey into the music of Champaign-Urbana. Recorded in the Blue Box studio with a songwriter from the Champaign-Urbana music scene, past or present. Champagne is also a band podcast is proud to be a part of the Champagne Showers podcast network. Welcome to Champagne is Also a Band podcast. Today I have Colin Larson, and you may know Colin from such bands as Johnny York, Withershins, and his current project, Other Glow. Colin, welcome to the show. Hey, great to be here. Thanks for having me. So today we're going to be listening to your song, Winter Wind, off of the EP, Spacey Sounds. So without further ado, let's listen to the song. Now the kids are Fuzzy 
Welcome back. So, Colin, my first and favorite question to always ask is, what came first? Was it the music or was it the lyrics? So, uh, with me, the instrumental pretty much always comes first. I have more trouble writing lyrics than I do music. The music seems to just flow out of me, whereas the lyrics take a long time. I have to sit and kind of ruminate about what I want to say, you know. But the instrumental, I I find it's easier to write because it's just, I don't know, the emotions of the song come out a lot quicker for me when I'm just sitting around with a guitar or drums or whatever. I can almost communicate better that way. Like the, whatever mood is on my mind through instruments, I suppose, than sitting around and choosing lyrics. That brings an idea into my mind that sounds and melodies and harmonies have a certain visceral impact that sometimes we fabricate a little bit with words sometimes. So mm-hmm. I feel like you can generate a pure sense of emotion just by the simplicity or complexity, maybe even of the melody or chords that you're playing or, or the music that you write. So what was the first part of this that you started writing musically? The first demo that I recorded from this was for a, the Withershins album, Mount Fuji and Blue. So the original riff came to me in, I don't know, 2012, I think we were doing demos for that one. So it was sitting around for a long, long time, and I've always wanted to turn it into a full song. I just kind of never really got around to it, and I never made it to that album or anything. But then the other idea I had, so I was just kind of going through my hard drive and finding these little demos and stuff. And I'm like, oh, I should finally do something with this riff. I also was sort of obsessed at the time with songs that had like the same verse and chorus instrumental parts, but then the just the lyrics change and but the lyric change is so powerful that it makes the chorus the chorus, you know? It's kind of that yeah. thing. So, like, if you think uh, Wicked Game by Chris Isaac, that's one where, like, it's the same chords in the verse as the chorus, and really it's just the the lyrics that just make it special in the chorus. And there's another band out of Mississippi I listen to called Villaroos. They have a song called The Plans We Plan to Keep that had the same sort of structure, and I was like, I want to make a song like that, so... It's funny because the song didn't actually end up that way, I would say. Like the chorus kind of kicks in a little bit harder because I collaborated with somebody on this song and they kind of changed the chorus a little bit. But it's basically the same chords uh, played on guitar, especially my part. It's the same in the verse and the chorus. So that kind of fed into this song. You had an additional collaborator on this song, but you're playing the bass and the drums. Is that correct? Yeah. So I play everything other than like the really heavy distorted guitars that come into the chorus and then like near the end of the song as well. A year ago, I put together a demo with some MIDI drums, you know, so it's amazingly just guitar and bass I wrote first, then just put some fake drums together and basically sent it to my friend Lucas. He's in a band called The Science Of. He's also in Lunar Tides, but I met him through Twitch because I do a lot of live streaming on Twitch. And there's sort of a music community going there. Like I said, a year ago, I did the demo. And then later, I recorded real drums. And then that's the basically the everything I gave to Lucas at the time. And then he just added those heavy chorus guitars and sent it back to me from there. But it really brought the song into another place, into another level. And I'm it really pays off collaborating with people like that, I'm finding. So at this point in your collaboration, did you have words yet? 
No, no, there was it was all instrumental still. From when I sent it to Lucas to when I actually started writing lyrics, there was like seven months went by before I even put lyrics down to this song. I would get stuck on lyrics and I'd just kind of go and make another instrumental and work on that song for a while and then kind of do the same thing. And then eventually it's like, oh, I got to do this sometime. So I sat around and finally picked something to write about. <laughs> but it, it takes me a long time to get the lyrics. I don't know why. They're like dripping with metaphor and like imagery and that kind of thing. I don't know. It's it's a very shoegazy thing to do, right? Like the, the vocal melody can be a little dronish, but because the melody isn't necessarily complex, it makes you focus on what the words are saying and what images are being created so that you kind of get this meditative, like, where is my mind going with this song? When I was listening to it, I was just thinking about the images that you have, you know, the kids are throwing rocks again, while our secret sons play sinking ships, chosen hues come like blue violets, vultures always dress in green. Maybe I'll just do this. What is that line? What does that mean to you? Or was that just kind of an image that, that kind of popped into your head? I spend a lot of time choosing words. I'll sit there with, you know, the dictionary open and stuff and like go look for stuff in like a thesaurus and all that. And just, I have to find the right words. It has to sound correct coming out of my mouth. I'm really choosy with what I write. And I guess that's probably why the lyrics take so long for me. That's one of the reasons I chose this song for this interview is because lyrically, I think this song, I kind of stepped up a little bit in what I was writing and I really liked some of the one-liners I came up with and all that. So this whole song is about like the Russia-Ukraine conflict where I'm talking about just basically war, right? So the sinking ships was about the the oligarchs and how the yachts were going missing when everything because i wrote this a while back so it's you know it's when everything was just first starting up and they were going yeah after all the yachts and stuff and then like the vultures always dress in green refers to like war profiteers and i try to really be not on the nose with things like i really try to dress it up and abstract and all that so that's the artistic fun i get out of writing lyrics is not just saying exactly what i mean just kind of making it creative and enjoyable to myself yeah, see, my my mind took it all in a very different direction. I wasn't I wasn't picturing uh, Ukraine or, or the conflict. Um, see, that's good though. It's great that you yeah. can you know, come off with your own meaning to the song, and that's I don't know if it's completely my intention, but it's great to hear. Always fascinated by how my interpretation of your music and your lyrics will tell you probably more about me than it will ever about you right right? so everybody projects a little yeah or or a lot you know (laughs) (laughs) well i mean winter wind maybe that that led me too much but um yeah so winter wind i'm actually referring to nuclear winter oh okay it's not just a seasonal song (laughs) right no but i did i was thinking about you know usually we associate winter with kind of the end of things the the oh yeah um see that's the finality i saw it as kind of like approaching the end of something but also reflecting upon all the things that we've done in our existence our lives and what our impact was i thought there was something that just really stuck out to me the unforgivable routine which to me i was just like you know the things that you do day to day without thinking or i think sometimes 
routine can be one of the most heartless things that we can do to another person too, right? Like just not thinking about our words or not thinking about how our actions affect people because we're doing our routine. So to me, that was kind of the part of what made me think of this self-reflection towards the end of things. So anyway, that was just my my interpretation of of the song it it delights me that you came up with like an interpretation like that that's different from what i was intending even yeah so like there's that line in there like abandoned lives over painted lines isn't worth it so that's definitely like a reference just to border war basically the chorus is you know see the bane of our becoming searching for a reason why it's just basically i don't understand why all this has to happen i mean i do understand you know why these things happen in human nature and all that but i guess it's just kind of a basic anti-war song i'm just you know right give peace a chance but i don't know i had such a strong reaction to when all this stuff was going on and then like there's a lyric later in the song or no earlier in the song where well it's the feel the chill of winter wind there's nothing like it where that's yeah when you're thinking about oh are we gonna get bombed like is everybody i know gonna perish because somebody didn't like where their border was like it's so silly to me and then there's like a direct reference to something i believe putin said where it was what good is a world without you where he was referencing russia like what good is a world without russia and it's like well oh yeah you're not really thinking of everybody yeah (laughs) but that's what the lyrics were all referring to when you started working on this i mean at what point did the creation of the music and the demos and the passing things back and forth, at what point did this concept solidify in your mind that it was going to be about Russia and Ukraine? No, that's the funny thing. It it really didn't. I basically finished the instrumental and then I never once thought about, I mean, I don't even know if the war was going on yet when I was still writing the instrumental, to be honest. So no, it really didn't affect, I mean, I added a few things after the lyrics, like the little lead guitar lines in the pre-chorus part, like that came after the lyrics. And then I added some vocal harmonies later on, but basically all the music was done and I just had that serious tone. And I guess just that, you know, the serious tone of the music lended itself to this sort of subject matter. I I like how it starts off with a very sparse instrumentation. As you're saying, now the kids are throwing rocks again and no one's going to stop them. At this point, it's just, it's like uh, snare clicks and and your guitar arpeggio. After those first few lines that finally the bass comes in and just like kind of rounds it out. there's, There's one part that I thought was really interesting that I don't know if you meant it this way, but in my mind, I'm like, oh, so you have this, every angle is paved with crooked tongues and fuzzy memories. And at that point, when you say memories, you start playing triplets on on the drums. And it sounds like, in my mind, like something being rewound, like, and I don't know, but but in my mind, I was like, but it was like this very cool word painting in terms of you're rewinding those memories in terms of trying to find those fuzzy memories. I could only dream that my songwriting is as smart as you are as a interpreting this. I just thought it was a cool hi-hat fill, so I tried to put it in there and turn it up loud, but no, that's really, that is really interesting. It also gives a great like ramp up to dropping in 
this steady beat with the drums and kind of establishing kind of the impulsion of the song, you know, what's, yeah, what's yeah. kind of driving it forward. It gets um, more serious right there. Yeah, and like it starts to take a very specific form. So it's not like you're just, mm -hmm. before it's like you're waiting on the bus, you know, there's a, t t you've got that very clock ticking kind of sound to it is is what i was trying to do with my mouth but that's not what happened um <laughs> you mentioned before that you wanted to keep it like the same music through throughout the the verses and the chorus but i think you do a very very good job of not letting it grow stale and it keeps moving which i think is great i, I think that the next lyric after the drums kick in where it says like i'm left feeling quite undone like that sort of sets the tone and i think that was sort of an intentional thing i did with the lyrics but that will part is mostly about like all the misinformation around these days and how like hard it is to just feel like you know the actual truth about things with the crooked tongues and the fuzzy memories and all that i don't know i do feel quite undone sometimes <laughs> i have a a new appreciation for the lyrics on that section because it again it's like from my interpretation to what's your interpretation to it's cool that those in my mind can simultaneously exist now which is something right. that's so great about music and lyrics i was having a lot of trouble you know coming up with things to write lyrics to because i don't know i look at like old rock songs like you know david lee roth wrote an entire song about jumping and like i've never been able to just do that just like spit out lyrics that but i always have to have like a subject to write about so one of the things that's helped me and it kind of plays into this song is I'm starting to just kind of like almost do musical journalism, I would call it maybe, or it's just like reactions of like the time I'm living in. And what I like to think about is say that a thousand years from now, somebody wants to know what it was like to live in, you know, the year 2022 and they just happen to pull up one of my songs. Like that's, that's like the audience I'm writing for right now. And I find thinking about that makes it easier for me to write about things and get lyrics out. So I don't know these, a lot of these songs are, uh, especially on this EP are just like social commentary stuff and almost like old man yells at clouds sort of <laughs> lyrics. I like to call them. That's really helped me uh, kind of write more and get the lyrics out. When I think about something being important or something that will last for a long time, I feel like that's the quickest way for me to have a writer's block or something like that. Oh, yeah. Just so paralyze I, I, yourself. So I was just curious, is, is that something that, that happens to you? I feel like you've taken on this weight with your interpretation of how you're going to write music and why you write music. It, yeah, it, I guess it does seem like that, right? But I don't know. For some reason, it just gives me like a sense of purpose. And then huh. it's like, oh, now I have a reason to do this. Or like, whereas otherwise, I'm just kind of sitting around going, well, I don't know. What should I write about? And is it worth writing about? I don't know. Like, it, I just do these, you know, mental games and it takes me forever to get anything on paper. Whereas huh. if I'm being a reporter, it's a lot easier to go, here's something, let me just talk about it. And gotcha. Interesting. Okay. Of course, choosing the subject always takes time, but that one seemed like kind of a an easy one as it was, you know, because right as all this stuff was breaking, uh, I was like, oh, well, this is an obvious thing I could talk about. I'm assuming people wrote enough pandemic or songs about the pandemic at this point, so... <laughs> 
right that was yeah. a, f- a fresh subject and also it i mean it's personal because it I, I mean i'm pretty disturbed by you know that human nature of war and all that and i do a lot of live streaming on twitch so one of the things is uh you get to know a lot of people internationally so i actually had a friend in russia who you know ended up you know her life got remarkably worse because of this war there's a line in there that says we're letting madmen run our lives it's like okay so putin decides to launch this war and now all of a sudden you know she's at risk of getting drafted mm. into the war when she did nothing you know right. or like all the economic sanctions that have happened since like those all completely affect her like she was trying to get something onto Bandcamp because she also does music but Bandcamp won't take her money now like she has to go get gift cards from her friends in other countries so there's all this suffering that happens to the people but it nothing really affects the rulers and it's the whole nation suffers because of an action of well we could just say one person really um, right yeah you know that's i mean i'm no i'm no policy uh expert or anything so i could be completely wrong about this stuff i'm not exactly well read and i don't pretend to be smart but it is it was just you know my reaction to all this and it's just i i don't know i feel i feel like we could do better as yeah humans Here's, here's a part in the in the interview that I I tell you what my favorite part of the song is. If we're calling the See the Bane of Our Becoming the the chorus, it's after the first chorus that you do the cho- and I and I mentioned this before, but the chosen hues come like blue violets, vultures always dress in green, abandoned lives over painted lines isn't worth it. An unforgivable routine. You know, based on my original interpretation, it meant something to me in terms of how I look at my own existence and how my life or the things that I surround myself with, what I was thinking of as the painted lines of the unforgivable routine. To me, that was a very like poignant part of the song, as I said, based on my original interpretation. But I still no, I, I still it. stand by that love of that of that line. So that really is my favorite part is that stanza of lyrics i think i would agree i I really like that part too would you say that's your favorite though i did pick a favorite part and it's actually something that lucas contributed with his guitar work so after that part comes the second chorus which is kind of the same thing but then there's like an extra part of that chorus and all of a sudden these other guitars kick in and the line is like seas of people overflowing we're letting madmen in our lives so right there the guitars i don't know lucas just does something with the notes in the guitars that make it really just hit another level like instrumental wise and it really like gets super serious feeling all of a sudden and i'd have to say that was one of my favorite parts other than that uh, it was just some of the one-liners i've had i refer to imperialists as collectors of dirt (laughs) at one point so it's collectors of dirt waving batons so like that's another kind of direct reference to like putin and stuff you know, like I thought that was clever, for, at least for me. Yeah, I mean, what is what is seizing land, right? It's just you're just yeah, collecting, you're collecting dirt. dirt. Oh my goodness! Yeah, <laughs> that guitar part really sealed the deal for me with uh, the favorite part. But yeah, I also like that chosen Hughes um, stanza, like you said. I that's probably one of my better 
sets of lyrics I've ever came up with. The Chosen Hughes thing actually refers to when I was on, you know, just seeing social media when all of a sudden everybody had like the Ukraine colors in their bios and everything. I was like, oh, it reminded me of the flowers that came in springtime in at my childhood home in Illinois. But the unforgivable routine is just, you know, direct reference to war. It's like we keep doing it and it's it's not good. War's not good. That's my that's my big takeaway. Oh, I, I guess I, I liked the little lead guitar things I did. I don't play a lot of lead guitar, but I thought those parts that I came up with were pretty nice. Is that like after the what good is a world without you, there's kind of that lead-ish? Yeah. What's nice is it makes its own statements, but it doesn't seem to overpower anything else that's going on there. It, it creates kind of this undercurrent to, to things. Like it. Yeah, yeah, there was nothing really going on like if you listen to it without it there's just these kind of dead spots in the song where there's not a lot going on and that's where i was like oh i need something you know a little bit flashy here and i actually right. i can't remember both of them i used a capo on but they're like kind of mathy almost you know midwest emo tappy sort of riffs which are always fun to throw in so right i don't do a lot of capo work on my guitars but this this time it felt pretty, I felt like trying something new, so. Why did you pick this song to be the song that you wanted to talk about today? I chose it because I was proud of it, the lyrics especially, and then also I've written a lot of songs that, you know, try to be real tricky structure-wise and nonsense, but this one was very simple and I think it turned out really well, so I kind of enjoyed that about it. Champagne is also a band podcast is proud to support Jubilee Cafe. Jubilee Cafe is a free weekly meal program at Community United Church of Christ, 805 South 6th Street in Champaign, Illinois. Jubilee Cafe serves a home-cooked meal from 5 to 6.30 each Monday. Their mission is to feed hungry people by cooking healthy, delicious meals and by serving their guests restaurant-style with servers waiting on tables. Jubilee Cafe is open to anyone who cares to eat with them. Because food insecurity among students is so high, they serve students as well as others in and around the Champaign-Urbana community who struggle with hunger. Meals are free to all and will be served each Monday evening, located in the accessible lower level of the building at 6th and Daniel Streets in Champaign. For more information on the meal or how to volunteer, Go to the Jubilee Cafe CUCC Facebook page or email them at jubilee.cafe at community-ucc.org. That's jubilee.cafe at community-ucc.org. Welcome back. So, Colin... Do you have a favorite Champaign-Urbana venue, past or present, that you really liked back in the day? I was asked this like a long time ago, and I remember my answer was at the time the Courtyard Cafe, which a lot of people gave me flack over, because <laughs> they're like, that one's, it's like not what you're supposed to choose, but I really did like that venue. It seemed to have like, you could get right up next to the bands. It was small enough to be intimate. The sound was really good. There was refreshments nearby. <laughs> no, if I had to choose one for real though, it, it had to be the Mike and Molly's beer garden on a, you know, a warm right. summer night. There was really nothing 
beat the camaraderie and the sound yeah. man pop would be there mixing it up and it was really a great time to be in town when yeah you know, withershins and i were uh playing i don't know if this is something that will resonate with anyone but whenever there was a nice breeze blowing through that area and perhaps in between sets or just before the band was playing or something like that you could hear all the leaves kind of rustling in the the vines that were climbing up the walls and there was just this i don't know it just had this really cool earthy quality about it that i i don't know if anyone else experienced this as well but it would always be like when that cool breeze would kick on and it'd be like it would be getting dark and tables that didn't necessarily sit flat and like just kind of <laughs> rocked a little bit but i miss that being a regular thing seven saints has done a few shows back there and but it misses the momentum of when mike and molly's was doing it every weekend sometimes during the week i feel like we lost a little something i agree that's that's probably one of my favorite venues past or present as well yeah i, I should mention that i basically haven't really been in champagne since about 2014 i moved out to the east coast and then I just recently moved back to Illinois, but I've been back since 2014, maybe a handful of times. So in my mind, Mike and Molly's is like still there, but I know it's not. I know like everything's changed, but like the high dive is still there. Like all these things, they're retained in my mind, at least. <laughs> I can definitely speak of back in the day when, like I said, Withershins was doing their thing. Um, like I came to town in probably 2005. Actually, before I even moved, I knew I was going to be moving to Champagne. The website openingbands.com, I'm sure people have talked about it on here quite a bit, but that got me a couple of things. It got me into my first band, Johnny York, and also I got the job that I held most of the time when I was living in Champagne, which is uh, at F&G Sound. I was doing like live sound and lighting and all that stuff. I met Aaron McAllister through openingbands.com because I think... Like the week before I was moving there, he fell off a ladder or something and really messed his back up installing, you know, probably something at the high dive. I think he was looking for somebody to help out, you know, at the sound company. So I ended up being able to swoop in there and it really paid dividends because I really got to see a lot of the the scene, you know, not just like the local stuff but also you know kind of the bigger shows that were going around so we had like a big mobile stage that we would take and you know we do gigs at the corporate park for the college and stuff like that and all sorts of stuff all the county fairs around i've done sound for you know pig i forget what they called it it's where they like grease the pigs up and then the kids run around and try to catch the pigs what? <laughs> so yeah it's i've done a lot all everything illinois had to offer as far as entertainment then i also got to work at the assembly hall i got to do a bunch of gigs there too so i was doing everything from the pig wrestling all the way up to you know the big acts that were coming through at the assembly hall so that was really cool to be able to see all that and really take in everything that the area had to offer as far as music and all. So what do you miss most about Champaign-Urbana? I don't know if I realized it at the time, but when I came to town, like I was stepping into like a completely fully formed music scene, you know? I guess I didn't realize how lucky I was because, I mean, they had everything. There were multiple venues to play at. You could either play, if you were just coming up as a band, you could play house shows. There was tons of house shows, you know, with the college kids everywhere. You could play the front room of the Canopy Club. I, that was 
my first gig in Champagne, I think, was yeah, the, like the front room of the Canopy Club. We made twenty dollars. They got free PBR. I thought it was the greatest thing ever, you know. And that was with Johnny Ork, and you meet so many great people that's really the thing i miss the most is just the community what else there's you know record company polyvinyls there a bunch of other record companies people who really care about music it was all in champagne you know recording studios uh talbots out in savoy as well as mark rubles was there at the time what do you think makes a good music scene Well, probably a lot of the stuff I just listed, first of all, places to play and people who care about the music. When I moved back to a smaller town, it's like, oh yeah, there's not five or six bars willing to put on local bands who have unproven draws or anything. Like They're hiring cover bands who they know that people are going to enjoy. Nobody's taking risks on anything. So that in itself is huge that Champagne had that. And then just the surrounding support structure, really. Like I said, the record companies and the recording studios. And I mean, the college scene definitely helped because you have this fresh influx of people every four years or every year, really. And everybody's excited to go check out, you know, like the the great cover up. That Mm -hmm. was always a huge thing. That was probably another one of my favorite things about champagne was doing that we got to play as modest mouse the one year and people loved it or at least they cheered really loud it might have been alcohol induced at that point because we, we played pretty late but that was definitely one of the most exciting gigs i've ever gotten to play huh. um and then also like the the festival like a uh, pygmalion fest that was yeah. huge having having like a giant fest like that in the town like that you know local bands get to play that was a huge deal and not every scene is going to have something like that so champagne really was special in that kind of way and then just you know the bands were getting places and they were serious like when i first came to town i think the first show i saw was american minor and lorenzo gets at the canopy club i don't know if you remember Oh yeah, uh, American Miner, but it, it, that one dude with like the Rock and Marshall stack had turned all the way to not even eleven. I think it was on thirteen. Like it was so loud in there, but it was it was super cool. Just you know, seeing that in time, and then learning that you know this is a local thing. It's not you know just some band that's gonna come through and never you're never gonna see him again until three years ago. And then like I got really into the band Shipwreck. And then headlights when they were mm-hmm. doing their thing, and that was really cool because I got to go see that at the Canopy Club and the front room, and I met a bunch of people just going to those shows. But yeah, as far as a music scene that works, it's just you have to have enough people interested, and you just have to have that support structure. And really, it's the venues. That's like yeah. the one thing doing this live stream stuff I've been doing. It's really missing one thing and that's like a central place where everybody gathers together because it basically works you know like i have a twitch channel and people come to my twitch channel or you know we'll hang out in a different twitch channel but it's everybody like has their own little venue it feels like and there's no like one venue where everybody comes together and you know forms a community it's it's really missing that we did a thing during the pandemic called Saturday night streamers, me and Jeff Julian from Vaude villains. We were trying to do something like that, where we just have like one place where, you know, bands could come live stream if they didn't necessarily know how to set it all up themselves. And we threw a few shows. It was just a lot of work. So I kind of quit doing it, but it was starting to form a little bit of something. We were getting a little bit of traction through that. So just the venues are the biggest thing for me for like a a healthy scene, just somewhere to play that people community gathers. (laughs) 
Champagne is also a band podcast is proud to support Exile on Main Street. Exile on Main Street, located in the old train station building at 100 North Chestnut Street in downtown Champaign, has been helping to build record collections since 2004, carrying a wide array of new and used LPs, CDs, and video games. Exile on Main Street has something for just about any music enthusiast and old school gaming devotee. Exile also hosts regular free live music shows on its stage, so be sure to check out their Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter pages for the up-to-date details on the next upcoming event. Open seven days a week. They can be reached by phone at 217-398-MAIN. That's 217-398-6246. Welcome back. So, Colin, what is your favorite non-musical thing or things? Okay, yes, I have multiple answers. I couldn't really pick. It's either like stand-up comedy or recently I've been doing a ton of cooking. Stand-up, I think, you know, a lot of musicians wish they could be stand-ups and a lot of stand-ups wish they could be musicians. You hear that a lot. I love comedy of all sorts like stand-up or like improv or just, you know, a funny tv show i spend a lot of time when i'm not working on stuff just you know trying to catch up with like all the latest stand-up specials that have gotten released lately and all that stuff and then cooking is the other one i've really gotten into cooking lately do you have a favorite comic i think the the special i liked this year so far the most has been kyle kanane's special that he put out he's awesome i love all of his stuff he's always hilarious i've been listening to a lot of roy wood jr lately He's on uh, The Daily Show a lot, but he has his own specials that are really, really funny. Another one of my favorites is Maria Bamford. I don't know if you're familiar with her, but she's really like quirky. Like she did a special that was just instead of like renting out a theater and having an audience, she just did a special where she invited her parents over for dinner and did her like entire special in front of her two parents. Like that was one of my favorites I've ever seen. It's she's just she really like knows how to push the the envelope i guess as far as form and creativity with stand-up and it's really enjoyable to watch and then there's also like dave attell i'm a big dave attell fan mitch hedberg classic it's probably my my faves and you've gotten into cooking recently what do you like to cook let's start out with like pastas i was sick of buying the alfredo sauce in the cans because it it was it's always horrible so i kind of set out on this journey to figure out how to make the best alfredo sauce i could which i'm still working on it's tougher than i thought it would be so it kind of expanded from there and then yeah last night i cooked uh for the first time i tried it was pasta alla Nerano, which is like oh. fried zucchini okay sort of in a cacio e pepe sort of thing so it's like it's kind of like alfredo but it's just noodles and then pasta water and cheese there's no like cream if you do it traditionally there's no butter even and then you do like the fried zucchini on top of that so it didn't come out that great <laughs> i gotta try it like 10 more times to get it right but cacio e pepe is like uh, kind of a it's a known difficult dish to pull off so but it's it's really fun to try and do all these things and then just italian stuff like a lot of pan fried chicken pan sauces doing a lot of zucchini stuff lately because we got a bunch of fresh zucchini from my uh, father-in-law's garden he keeps dropping them off so keep cooking them up <laughs> in the oh. in the finest midwestern tradition of if you have too many just drop it off on your neighbor's front oh, yeah. porch <laughs> exactly 
So, how did you find out about this the the fried zucchini dish? I I don't know if I've ever heard of that before. Well, it's because my father-in-law decided to come over with about a thousand pounds of zucchini and said, "Here, do something with this." So I'm like, "Well, I best or I guess I better uh, figure out how to make some zucchini recipes." So we did some zucchini boats, like you scoop out the middle of the zucchini, and then the first ones we did were just is basically like French bread pizza, except instead of bread, you use zucchini. And so it was just some red sauce and cheese on top. And that was actually delicious. Like you don't have to be complicated, but I did that. And then, um, let's see, I'm trying to think the, yeah, the pasta we just did, you know, whatever's on hand. Then he's been bringing over, uh, tomatoes lately. So the bass player in Withershins, Neil, he taught me, yep. he's also big into cooking. He taught me how to make this, uh, Tuscan chicken recipe. So it's basically like you pan fry chicken and then you add later uh, like cream and then baby spinach and a bunch of tomatoes. And you just kind of like simmer it until it all kind of melds together into a one sauce and yeah. get hungry again. Think about all this food. <laughs> <laughs> no, it sounds amazing. Like, have you always been into Italian or is that just like? Yes. Because I oh, definitely okay. have always enjoyed pasta and things with a lot of carbs, <laughs> which... <laughs> Unfortunately, I visited my doctor not too long ago, and I've haven't been I've been having to cut back a bit on all of the things I enjoy that much. But I've definitely uh, eaten my share of pasta in my lifetime already, so it doesn't gotcha. feel too bad. Now I'm enjoying you know vegetables and fruits a little bit more these days. So learning gotcha. to cook all that stuff is it's fun. It, I mean, I cooking is like music. You know, it, you're taking ingredients like instead of a guitar maybe you have a tomato but you're taking these ingredients and you put them together and make a creative dish and you know right now i'm learning the cover songs you know i'm just learning off recipes but i'm imagining if i keep doing this for a few more years i'll be able to just whip something up from whatever and make my own songs or dishes you know and then the third thing which was a little bit spurred on but dock diving with my my puppos yeah so our dogs are you know like most dogs they're monsters they're full of energy so we're trying to find things for them to do and we came across the sport of dock diving about we i should say me and my wife because my wife she's kind of the leader of all the dog sports stuff in our household we've been doing dock diving with our dog oliver and actually the other one too atlas uh lately we just got atlas into it but oliver's been doing it for about a year now and it's a so much fun and they love it the dogs really really love it because they they're labradors so they Mm. love being in water and swimming and it's just a lot of fun to watch them have so much fun for those that don't know can you describe what dock diving is okay so there's a 40 foot long pool and then there's like a 40 foot long dock that's up against the pool and basically you just set your dog at the end of the dock and then you walk to the front like by the edge of the pool with a dog toy and then you yell, go, and then they run, 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 and then you throw the toy into the pool, and then they try to catch it. There's different strategies on what you do with the toy, but and they have to jump as far as they can into the pool, and then it's judged by distance. So every foot, there's a marker in the pool, and there's a judge that uh, hangs out on the side of the pool, and they'll tell you how far your dog jumped. Pretty much it. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I was looking. I think that was at your... Uh instagram of some yeah yeah i've been posting some stuff (laughs) i mean i don't mean to put your dog on the spot but it looked like that was a 
good long distance is that is that the average distance it matters on the dog breed right like if you get like a, a belgian malinois who's like a crazy energetic dog they'll jump you know 30 feet like some of them will jump really, really really far our labs we have english labs so they don't jump quite as far as like the regular american labs do because they're a little bit stockier you know but our dog jumps right around 20 feet which is pretty good it's getting up there for his breed but regular lab will jump maybe i think the top distance is about 25 26 feet so we're right we're basically right in the middle it's not and then there's some dogs who you know they'll barely make 10 feet but they're all having fun and yeah it's kind of hard to do competitions or anything they do them but like they separate out into different like divisions and stuff so like our dog jumps in the senior division which only goes up to 20 feet so we're kind of you know 19 foot 20 foot so we're jumping like good for our division but if we jumped farther we'd actually be like not as good competitively in the the next division up so like unless you have a, a breed that is competitive with the top distance breeds like you're not really gonna have you know just a jump off where whoever's farthest wins and they'll do that with like little lap dogs too like they have all sorts what no matter what dog you have you can go do it yeah so it's but at the end of the day it's all just you know so the dogs have fun and they they really do have a blast how did you get into that my wife started out taking the dogs to do nose work which like i guess you know airport security dogs the dogs that come sniff those are like professional nose work dogs but there's also like you can just do it as a sport so like if you're not amazing at it and you know you can just go and they'll they like hide shoe boxes with different scents like birch or anise or like it's not food or anything but it's usually like yeah like something woody like that or earthy and then you train the dog to you know recognize the scent and then they'll go and you know they'll have 10 shoe boxes or whatever and they'll, you'll take them through the room and they have to pick out which box has the scent in it and then you like yell alert basically and then you know you're either right or wrong and you get judged based on how many you get right and then it, it's it's a whole thing like there's there's sometimes they'll have rooms with nothing in it and you have to realize that there are no scents in the room and it, it gets progressively harder the more you go but my wife was doing that and then also at the same complex they were doing the nose work stuff at there was you know a pool in the back and we're like oh we should check that out one day and so we went and watched the dogs jump we're like oh i wonder if our dog would do that so we took him to yeah. like a practice round and he you know when he started out, he wouldn't even go off the dock. He like was super scared. We had to like coax him in the first time. But then like once he did it the first time, he's like, oh, I kind of like this. And then, you know, he would jump, you know, three, four feet at first. But then, you know, you just keep going and going and going and they get more confidence. And now, like you saw on the Instagram thing, he's jumping as far as he possibly can. Like, right. no fear at all. Just awesome. needs to get that toy. So, <laughs> but that's, yeah, how we got into that. Well, Colin... Thank you for being on the show and telling me all about your song, Winter Wind, your favorite Champagne Urbana venue, and, and what makes a good music scene, and, and three of your favorite non-musical things. It's been a pleasure to be able to chat with you over Zoom. It's, it's good to see you and, and chat and see what's going on with you these days. So, I appreciate you being on the show. Yeah, I appreciate you uh, having me on. Uh, it was a lot of fun, and I've listened to a bunch of these. I'm... The pressure's all on Bryce now to be the last Witherspoon. 
<laughs> on the show. So yeah, I, I love the pod. It's been awesome being on and thanks for having me. Thank you for listening to Champagne is also a band podcast. This is Colin Larson reminding you great music is out there. Go find it where you live. Champagne is also a band. You almost have an NPR voice. It's so good. (laughs) (laughs) I've done sound for, you know, pig. I forget what they called it. It's where they like grease the pigs up and then the kids run around and try to catch the pigs. (laughs) So yeah, it's, I've done a lot, all everything Illinois had to offer as far as entertainment.